Arata, former Denver paramedic, current EMS coordinator for Health One, and founding member of the Emergency Medical Minute. I am proud to introduce our new podcast, On the Streets. This will be an informative podcast for all listeners, but this is specifically designed for our EMS partners. Each month, we will consult medical experts on topics pertinent to pre-hospital care, identifying a posterior circulation stroke in the field, knowing when to do a 12 lead, and what to look for, how to use capnography for a variety of data points, and how to give an effective handoff report. As we all know, knowledge and timing can make a world of difference when treating acutely ill patients. Like all of our content, we aim to equip you with the resources to forge your medical knowledge while keeping it relevant and time-effective. Tune in to On the Streets for real, raw, and relevant EMS education. Welcome to On the Streets, our first episode. We are talking about the do's and don'ts of giving handoff reports. With us today is Dr. Michael Hunt, retired emergency physician and medical director at the Arapahoe Community College EMS Academy. Welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So one of the reasons we wanted to bring this up is you're well known for holding people accountable for good handoff reports. You've been educating paramedics for many decades, and I think you have a reputation for having really high standards. I know when I was a brand new paramedic, I would always cringe when I knew I had to give a handoff report to you because you just make everybody nervous because we don't always know what you want to know. And most of the way that we learn as paramedics is from other paramedics. So when I have 20 to 50 different paramedics, as I'm a brand new medic, telling me how I should give handoff reports and no physicians telling us really what they want to hear, I think there's always a little bit lost in translation. So I think this is a great opportunity to hear from the experts how we can do a better job in the field telling you what you need to know to take better care of our patients. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm a little bit chagrined that that's my legacy, that I instilled fear in everyone who walked in the door. Though I do admit that it was my goal to ensure that the handoffs were done properly because I think it makes a huge difference in terms of patient care. In terms of the retired physician, it's only been two weeks, so I hopefully I haven't forgotten too much of what I've been doing, but uh, I appreciate the opportunity to to talk about it. I think in reviewing it and having had my retirement dinner last night with my partners, depending on how you count it, I've probably taken about 25,000 handoff reports in the course of my career. I believe that a good report is vital. Uh, It's integral to ensuring quality and continuity of care. And I want to make sure that the medics that I train and the medics from whom I've received reports in the past, are doing it in what I feel is an appropriate way to ensure that quality and continuity of care. I think, moreover, the bottom line is that a good report instills confidence in both the ED personnel receiving the report and in the patient. If they know that the paramedic who is giving the report is doing it accurately and the people who are receiving it are receiving it in the spirit in which it is being given, then everybody benefits from that. Yeah, I agree. I think that level of professionalism, expertise, and knowledge using proper medical terminology, keeping it concise and brief, are huge. And that's something that I was taught early on and tried to instill in some of my students. But it can get lost, and it's easy when you're especially taking care of a very complex patient to kind of go off the rails and go down a rabbit hole and have your report that should be 30 to 45 seconds end up being three minutes of kind of unnecessary information. So if you were to boil it down to 
the key key points giving reports what are the big do's well don't steal my thunder just yet because a lot of those (laughs) things that you say definitely are important to the good report i think number one i would encourage paramedics to have a standard format for your report and that doesn't matter if it's the sbar some people say sbiot or the atmist or the pace or the three p's or ipass really isn't important as long as it's something you're comfortable with it's something that you practice, it's something that you use regularly, and that you rehearse it. When we train our paramedics, what we try to get them to understand is this isn't something you're going to come out of the chute and give a great report. It's something you really have to practice like anything. And if you're comfortable with a particular format, then please use that and stick to it as you give all your reports. It will facilitate the transfer of information and it'll make you look more professional. So on that note, I know that our trauma team here at Swedish really likes the ATMIS, and I wonder if that's something that stands out for all ER physicians or if that's just kind of one that they picked and they're most familiar with. And for those who aren't familiar with what that is, that's age, time of injury. The mechanism or the medical condition. I can be injuries or illness. So it's really applicable to either medical or trauma. And then S is signs and symptoms and T is treatment, as most people flesh out the acronym. It's the one I like because I'm comfortable with it. I think it incorporates most of the information you need to transmit, but it doesn't matter. As long as it's something you are comfortable with and you're the one giving the report, then please utilize that. And I had one of my field trainers when I was new, he really was an advocate of telling a story. He said, you need to be a good storyteller to sell what you found to them. And he wanted to really spin it up and paint this picture. And do you think that's something effective and necessary? Or do you think just speaking to the care that you provided, what you found and the level of professionalism you have is better than that. Certainly, I don't mind a story to accompany the patient. You want to know the information, but I wouldn't get lost in the form of the story and lose the substance. The important thing is, again, as you mentioned, you want to be succinct, and that's what I expect from a paramedic report. I believe that almost every report can be given in 30 seconds if someone is knowledgeable about the patient and they're organized. It may take 60 seconds for a more complex report, but no more than that. So I think if you look at something like the stoplight approach, and that's really not up to the paramedic, that's up to the receiving institution to adopt something like that. But a stoplight approach usually breaks down the components in 20, 60, and 30-second blocks. The first 20 seconds is attention is garnered throughout the room so that everybody's paying attention to the paramedic and they're listening to what the paramedic has to say. There's no chatter. There's no excess conversations. There's no questioning at that point. The 20 seconds is you get the patient into the bed space and you have everybody's attention so that you can begin report. And then that next 30 to 60 seconds is the report and you give the paramedic or the flight crew the opportunity to tell their story. It may be in a narrative, but as long as it incorporates all those components that are necessary to transmit the information at MIST or 5Ps or IPASS or SBAR, whatever, then you convey that. And then you have the last 30 seconds for the receiving professionals, usually the emergency physician or the trauma physician, to ask the questions. But one thing I find that when you're receiving the patient, you're giving all this information and you may not have anything in advance warning, is that a physician will be trying to create that mental picture and incorporate all that information. So there may be an occasion 
where you'll miss the vital sign or you miss the blood sugar and the physician will ask, can you repeat that? Don't take it personally. It's just a matter of trying to process all that information simultaneously and trying to put the puzzle pieces together to plan your uh, action and care of the patient. So I think if we boil that down, organization and repetition, knowing exactly how you're going to say it and what you're going to say every time so you never wander off the path. Yeah, and repetition in the sense that you're repeating your pattern of report. One thing that can be distracting is the repetition of the report where you're repeating several pieces of information over and over again. And that really falls into the don't, but we can move on to that. I think in terms of the quality of report, I think a do is do know the patient. There's nothing more frustrating than when someone begins a report and they may not know a name or the circumstance of the patient. I always advocate that if you have the time and you have the information, review the records that are coming with the patient, especially in a transfer from an outside facility, a transfer from a nursing home. Typically in those scenarios, you have plenty of time to review the record and know what the patient is all about, what their history is, what their reason for the transfer what medications they're on, what their allergies are, what interventions have been accomplished. And it's never more frustrating than when you ask a question for clarification and that there's been a 30-minute transport in the back of an ambulance. You have nothing better to do than to read the chart, and you don't. I could not agree more, and that's something I harp on my staff here at the hospital about is making sure that we're giving that attention because at this point, during handoff, EMS should be the expert in this patient. They know everything, and the hospital knows nothing, and so they better know it. And when they don't know it and they haven't put that time in and haven't invested in their patient, not only is it disrespectful to the patient, but it's disrespectful to the hospital staff, and it just shows a lack of professionalism. So I can't agree more that just knowing your patient, knowing what's going on with them today, what you've done, and why you're bringing them to the hospital, and being able to answer those questions and give a nice, concise report, I think that's huge. Couldn't agree more. And in conjunction with that, another do is, I would say, anticipate the questions that are pertinent to the patient's presentation. If the patient is coming in for hypoglycemia, then know what the patient's blood sugar was and know what the recheck was. If the patient's coming in from a motor vehicle accident, I mean, there's a great standard presentation you give. When I see a patient from a motor vehicle accident, I want to know location in the vehicle. I want to know if they were restrained. I want to know if there were airbags deployed. I want to know if there was loss of consciousness. I want to know if the patient was ambulatory at the scene. So in addition to a mechanism of 45 miles per hour, head-on collision into an immovable object, those are pieces of information I think everybody should anticipate being ready to relate. And so you anticipate those questions. And then if I could add one more specific thing, because we see a lot of stroke patients here as a regional stroke center. The most important piece of information that I want from a paramedic is what, Jordan? What was the time of onset? Not how long ago it happened, but the specific time of onset, right. 7.30 a.m. Right. It's last seen normal. When, when was this patient last seen or known to be normal? Not it started at 7.30 this morning because that's the time they woke up. What time did they go to bed? Were they normal when they went to bed? That information, sometimes that's a little hard to understand specifically, but there are specific pieces of information, stroke example, that we want to hear. And if you can anticipate those, and you're going to be received much better by the staff and certainly by the physician. Yeah, and if you can anticipate those and incorporate those into your report and you don't get asked questions at the end, that's generally viewed as a pretty successful handoff, right? Absolutely. A couple other things I want to emphasize. I think in addition to the report, 
support you give. One thing you want to do for the patient's benefit is manage up. You want to give them some expectations that are encouraging. Hey, I'm taking you to this facility because they are excellent in taking care of endocrine emergencies. They know exactly what to do. They have some great specialists. These docs and nurses care, and they're going to do a great job for you. Patients are buoyed and encouraged by that. So that managing up is always important. One thing you should not do, however, is deliver false expectations or promises that can't be kept. Yeah, we're going to take you to the hospital and you're going to get an MRI. And then the patient gets there and says, ah, the paramedic told me I was getting an MRI. What happened? You know, that kind of thing. But something that may be more appropriate to say is, hey, we're going to take you to the hospital and they're going to check you out and they're going to run some tests for you. And if you need something special, you're going to get it. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. So not only knowing your facilities really well and what they're great at so you can get your patients to the right facility, but then giving those patients expectations because it's always a really stressful experience for them, especially, you know, the average Joe who's having a true emergency is calling 911 and is terrified about the whole experience to set their mind a little bit at ease knowing that, oh, great, they're taking me to this facility because they're the best at this and the physician's going to be there waiting for me and they're going to have a great handoff to this care team and I have nothing to worry about. I think that's a huge thing that you can do for patients as a paramedic, just to set their minds at ease and make them comfortable about what to expect. Yeah. Uh, one last thing I'm going to add to the do's before I go to the don'ts. If you do have supporting documentation, please bring that. You know, in, in the realm of electronic medical records and digital transfers, frequently we'll have the opportunity to pull images from another facility, but there are times where our systems are not compatible, and it helps if you make sure you bring an x-ray or a disc of an image or the paperwork, or if you come from a nursing home, bring the medical records and the med list and the allergies. It saves a lot of time, so we don't have to make phone calls and track down that information. So in addition to bringing the rhythm strip in when you walk in the door, that supporting information, especially in transfers, saves a lot of time and facilities facilitates care in the ED. Yeah, and I think another note on that that often gets overlooked is those patients that are coming from a scene who are maybe obtunded and we aren't able to get clear information from them trying to find something from their home or location that identifies them, at least whether it's an ID or medications in their purse or bag or something like that, because the sooner we can get that patient registered, the easier it is to get them in for all those tests and things. And I know that's something we constantly go back and forth with here at the hospital, but that is always a difficult thing. And our goal at the hospital is always to provide the most appropriate care as rapidly as possible. And when there's something silly standing in the way of that, like not having an ID that got left on scene accidentally, that can be really frustrating when it creates a delay in patient care. So I think all those pearls are fantastic. Now, on the flip side... After receiving, how many did you say? 25,000? Maybe. Maybe. In that range. In that range. Just just a handful. What are the things that really stand out as the things to avoid doing? What are the big don'ts? I think the most frustrating thing is when reports are not organized and that the paramedic will bounce around with their report. So they'll start off with a history and then they'll interject something about a blood sugar and then they'll go back to the physical exam and then they'll pick up some more history. And that disorganized approach makes it hard for the receiving physician or provider to concentrate on the patient and putting again those pieces of the puzzle together. You prefer an organized standard format so that you know when you have the history, then you're going to have the exam and the interventions and the response to interventions. But when you get to the end, you just go, oh, I forgot to mention he's got a fungus on his toes and he's been complaining of ear pain and 
by the way, his sister said that she thought he was allergic to aspirin. You know, those kind of interjections are distracting and really diminish the quality of the report. Yeah, I think, are we just going to see a mirror image of the do's and what is the absolute worst? Because I think that really is probably quite true of this is when you're doing it right, that's where you're at. And when you're doing the worst, that's what we're trying to avoid, right? Is all those things that just you're jumping around, you're distracted, you're halfway through your report and then you decide it's time to move the patient over now. And so you have to pause your report and you get distracted by a nurse and now you have to start over or someone leaves the room or comes back in. I think from the EMS side too, having the team ready is huge and making sure that everyone is on the same page and ready to start. And I think most EMS providers, when they walk in a room, say, is everyone here who needs to be here or are we ready or are we waiting for anybody else? And making sure that there's clear expectations on both sides so that when they're ready to go, the receiving team is ready to go too so that it can be really a give and take and everybody's listening attentively. Yeah, and really that's on the receiving staff, uh, just like the stoplight protocol. That's on them to make sure that they're participating appropriately. No, this won't be a flip of the dues. (laughs) So here's a don't that I find very frustrating is the use of crutches in the presentation. And by crutches, I mean phrases that allow someone whose stream of consciousness or flow of report is erratic and they're trying to put together pieces while they're thinking. And examples of that might be as far as that goes. And they use these little catchphrase or like I said, which is very frustrating because the repetition is unnecessary. And like I said, it's really just a crutch to move from point to point. And you already said it. And I don't think you need to repeat it. Sometimes if the physician misses it, they need to ask you. But those kind of crutches are annoying and I think distracting. So if in the practice of your presentation reports, you note any of those and can eliminate them, it'll be a much more effective report. The other thing that I think is frustrating is when the paramedics or the EMTs are unfamiliar with medical terminology and fumble through it. It's great if you understand it, and it's more professional if you say cholecystectomy instead of gallbladder surgery. But if you fumble through that, the patient picks it up, the nursing staff picks it up, and there's less confidence in the paramedic and the report when you don't know the words. Especially true about medications. And I tell every class, if you cannot pronounce metoprolol by the end of your training, I've done a bad job. Because every time I hear metoprolol, I cringe inside. And it's an education thing that is correctable. And if you see 100 patients a year who are on metoprolol, you should know how to pronounce the word. And I think that goes back to listening to your patients because they generally know those things. They know the medications they take. They talk to their physicians about it. And when they say, oh, yeah, I take metoprolol, and I walk in as a paramedic and say, oh, they're taking metoprolol and omeprazole. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I think that reflects poorly on, on me as a professional and really points to my commitment to my job. I would agree. Again, if you can't pronounce it, you don't have to be erudite. It's fine if you say he's had gallbladder surgery or he's had his appendix taken out or he's on a beta blocker. I'll give you a list. But the patient's going to pick up on that as well. And again, you want to do this managing up. You don't want to diminish yourself in the eyes of the patient or the staff because they think you're potentially less than competent because you can't pronounce a word. 
Yeah, and we as EMS professionals want to be seen as more than ambulance drivers. We want to be seen as professionals and experts. And it takes extra work, and it takes time and repetition and practice. And asking for feedback from the care team at the hospital, hey, how was that? Did I get everything right? Did it sound okay? What could I do better next time? I think eliciting that kind of feedback is huge. But what do you think about that from your side? Yeah, definitely. The pre-hospital care providers are integral to the patient care and they are professionals and we want to see them in that regard so our responsibility is definitely to them to educate and there's an appropriate time to do it it's not at the patient's bedside it's not to say why'd you bring that guy here it's not to say why didn't you do this it's a time that after the report and are there any questions and and those are satisfied in the patient room step outside and say you know the time of onset really wasn't when he woke up this morning but to give some feedback. So what we're looking for is really when were they last seen normal? And that's the kind of stuff that's going to help us in determining what care is going to be provided. So I I think it could be done in a collegial and respectful manner. We're not always good with that sometimes, and I'm certainly guilty of it. The pressures of the situation or frustrations with other things enter into our interactions. So ultimately, as I matured, I think I got better with that and understanding the pressures for the EMS provider as well, and really trying to ultimately achieve the common goal of giving the best patient care possible. Agreed. And so what else do we have on our big standout don'ts? Okay, my last one is don't fabricate. Sometimes I think EMS providers feel the pressure to provide an answer, and sometimes you don't have the answer. Sometimes you didn't have a chance to look at the chart. Sometimes you don't know the question's going to be answered. So the appropriate response is, I don't know, and that's okay. If you don't know, I'd much rather hear, I don't know, than for you to tell me, yeah, I'm pretty sure the nursing home gave Tylenol before we got here. If you don't know, you don't know. That's okay. I would like you to know, but I'd much rather you tell me you didn't than to give me information that may not be true. Yeah, never falsify meds, never falsify vital signs. If you don't know or you didn't do it, that is far better than lying or fabricating. Yeah, it just sends us again down a path that we don't need to go and ultimately doesn't serve the patient. Dr. Hunt, thank you so much for all these pearls today. Now, when we think about some of our patients are more unique. We talked about stroke patients and trauma patients, motor vehicle accidents. Are there any other specific patient types or injury patterns that you're looking for specific information on that we can give our listeners a little heads up to try to integrate into their reports? I think the key to that is there are going to be patients that you see regularly. You're going to see the falls. So for the elderly, did they hit their head? Did they lose consciousness? Are they in anticoagulant medications? Again, for the motor vehicle accident, the kind of pattern of expected questions, as mentioned, cardiac patients, you know, the kind of standard questions in terms of risk factors, for example. If you can tell me patient's a smoker, patient's dad had a heart attack at 40, patient's on cholesterol medications, is hypertensive, is diabetic, give me those risk factors up front. Excellent. And those are the patients that you want to be able to do that for, the patients who really have a more critical need for urgent intervention. And cutting to the chase for those kind of patients, if you recognize this is your patient population and these are the patients I transfer, and I'm going to see this 10 times in a month, then those are the patients you need to practice presenting. 
And I think the biggest pearl of all is just practice your reports. If you have time before you get to the hospital, go through it in your head. Say it to your partner if you have to. If you're new and you want to lean forward into the front and say, hey, can you listen to this quick before we get to the hospital? I want to make sure I've got my thoughts straight. Write it down and have a script for yourself, especially when you're new. I always had things written down and I hated having to read from it when I was new, but it helped me develop that organization. How do you feel about that when you see someone reading off a piece of tape on their leg or a notebook? Yeah, no problem. It really is the transmission of information that's most important. And everybody has a learning curve and a process we all go through to where we become more facile with our reports. I will say, and not to the exclusion of any particular Denver metro area group, but I always appreciated the Denver General Denver Health folks' presentations because they were always succinct and accurate and provided me the information. I just relish the opportunity to hear their reports, not necessarily to the exclusion again of any other agency, but I would specifically send my students in to listen to one of those reports because I wanted them to hear that and I wanted them to hear a good quality report. And sometimes I would send them into other agencies that I anticipated may not be quite as high quality. And then I'd say, what would you think about that report? And what did you get the information you want? And, and what would you have done differently? It's like anything else. You watch baseball or basketball or football to get a better appreciation for the sport. So if you play it, you're a little bit better when you are on the field. Yeah. And hopefully all our listeners get that. That's why they're listening because they want to learn. They want to get better. And I would encourage all of you to elicit feedback from the care team and make sure that you strive to be as excellent as you can be and project that as a professional when you are handing off your care. Great. Thank you so much for being our first guest. And thanks for joining us today on On the Streets. Thank you, Jordan. Take care.